Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In today's episode, we talk about the context behind data migration. And if you love data, data context, uh, formats for exchanging data, you will love this conversation because it is a very deep one about the potential ability to define ways in which we produce, store, and share data, providing context using markup languages, and then being able to extend that. Um, It really is a fascinating conversation about just how much we could improve our use of data if we were able to provide more context around the data so that we knew who wanted to see it and what relevance it had. We also have some interesting conversations about data uh, migration and how we share information. I know you will enjoy the discussion. There's no Isaac Sackalick, right? Sure. Yeah, so we do, yeah. Um, New York Ike Digital Trailblazers. Um, by the way, I recommend that. Um, reading Isaac's book is like um, everybody on this call has all the same stories he does with different names and different, you know, uh, uh, s- s- the same story, right? So when you when you read the book, it's like having a conversation with him over a beer. It's like every time he tells a story, it's like, oh, I've got a story just like that. Uh, and and his writing's very good. It's it's very readable, so I do recommend it. So Tyler, have you been listening to the podcast to the uh, Friday mornings coffee with? Uh we yes, last week was the first time. I I didn't. Uh, Kit was uh, she was like, oh, Isaac's doing this thing on Friday. You gotta you gotta check it out. So we started listening in and. Um, he, he's always, he's got a lot of great stories, right? Like the rest of us do. Uh, and he gets, he gets good, uh, get good folks involved. But anyway, back in October, we flew him down and we did an event here in, in Atlanta. Uh, and we had about 20 CIOs at the event. Tyler, if you, I don't know if you know this, but I've been on his seeing Friday mornings probably since the first one. And usually he he's very generous about giving me the mic and always asks my opinion about a lot of stuff. But one of the things that I was going to say to you is with respect to the data fabric, he he was looking for, for topics. And I have an idea for one. So shoot me a DM or something on Twitter and I'll share it with you because you should probably talk about it on the coffee with. Because some of those, so I, I've gotten a lot of outreach from from that dialogue. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's a very it's like Thursday. This is my highlight of the week, and Friday that ends my week, and it, <laughs> it's great, you know, kind of independently uh, looking at it. But um, there's um, there's something that I will share with you with with respect to virtualization and also. IAC and also data fabric and manufacturing because I've just written I'm just finishing it a whole series on um, human centric design and bringing that into digital transformation and industry four. Uh, not only because there's a shortage of labor in manufacturing, but also because there's too much time being lost in not integrating the human workforce 
into the digital transformation strategy and how to expose the data to more people. And so that plays into the data fabric story. Yeah. As well as the. Yeah. I, I like to tell people that, you know, the whole design methodology is about you start with the people and then the process and, and then the technology. But, it, you know, that implies a linear flow of, of, of a methodology where actually when I show people process and te- technology, I show a Venn diagram because it's iterative and, and they all flow. Yeah. And it, it, it's a two-way iterative process and being able to have your technology strategy inform your processes and, and and your talent strategy and vice versa, right? So you kind of and 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 a lot of times that gets lost when we have these these panels and these discussions where everybody rightly criticizes the idea that technologists tend to focus on the technology to the exclusion of all else, which is we've all we've all run into that and many, many times in our career, but it's really more than that, right? You know, if your technology strategy isn't supporting your people strategy, then you're going to fail just as much as if you're totally focused on the technology itself. And your people strategy is not really about culture and behavior. It's about what data needs to be visible to make people more empowered and efficient Mm-hmm. because they're empowered to make decisions. Yeah. So that's yeah. my my view of it. And what I found really resonated, like yesterday, for example, I was on a Mesa call and you have 200 people on this call all coming from the supply chain and manufacturing environments, a lot of solution providers, but also a lot of people who are struggling to get their frontline workforce to adapt and adopt the technology and what works with what. So from that perspective, if you use the design patterns from human-centric design as one of the capabilities up front for looking at technologies, you immediately go past those that won't suit the frontline workforce or don't give you the capability of exposing data in a way that they can consume it or, or make decisions based on it. Yeah, that, leads down oh the line my God, to that's so more true. rework. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's so true. Oh my god! I mean, uh, so okay. So here's what we did. So we created a whole data citizen data scientist, you know, Gardner, blah blah, whatever. And so what we did was we create we we created a model where we we automated the process of filtering data for a individual specific view of their own data. So salespeople could only see their customers that they had closed. Their managers could only see the sales of the salespeople in their group, which sounds complicated, but gets more complicated when you start talking about division changes and org and role changes, and you have salespeople move from one team to another. And we, we, built all of that. So when a, a salesperson moved from one group to another group, they would still be able to see their customers, but their manager could not see the customers that belonged to the other sales team. 
Uh, so we we were that sophisticated in being able to to mm-hmm. filter the data and be able to pick up the changes straight out of the HR system. So when John Doe moved from Gainesville to Valdosta, we would automatically update that view of data and and basically real time and pick that up. And the truth is that. It never really got used because of exactly what you said, Joanne. It, it, yeah. it, it, it's that empowerment, right? You know, now, now maybe that's an extreme case because you've got a company that's in the mortgage banking space, which is a bloodbath, frankly. Um, so in, a, in an organization where you've got a little more continuity, it, it might not have been that bad. But when you, you think about that, you have to have a whole human-centered design about the process of how do you get folks um, doing the right behaviors to be able to move the organization forward, because that constitutes a change from the status quo and the way that they've been successful in the past right right well one of the key points to that as well is how do you measure that performance and it doesn't fit with the tried and true 360 reviews or the criteria that are normally used and it's getting the the mind share around things like what was the contribution to moving the organization forward in its transformation plan and, you know, one of the, the the last post I put up was about using the idea of personas to do the segmentation in order to look at the performance metrics, as well as how the systems, the data and the processes all worked in tandem to give that person the empowerment to make the better decision that give, gives them the better performance to basically say, here was my contribution and not measure it six months after the fact, but measure it either in real time, which would be ideal, or on a more frequent basis so that you can build up the business case to say, Mm -hmm. we want to do this for everybody. Because unless you have this larger picture perspective, you're really not going to get an efficient way of measuring people's performance, but you're also not going to get the output toward the achievement of the corporate goal unless you do things in a more human-centric way. So personas is a first step, but then you can layer all the rest around that to say, this group of people is motivated by X, they do Y behavior, and Z is what measures them in terms of the overall contribution to a corporate initiative. And I think this is where a lot of companies fail, not only at the data level, but also at the analytics level, because what they're giving people the capability of doing is too finite. It's too mm-hmm. um, it's too siloed. And it also does not capture um, institutional knowledge. You've been doing the same thing for 30 years. You know the tricks of the trade. Where is that being captured? How does that then feed back into the flows of data or workflow or analysis to say, hey, by the way, you've been doing it wrong for the last you know, two weeks. This is the short step to do it right. 
in terms of training yeah. a workforce, in terms of growing are, a workforce. Are you cetera, are you suggesting that the experts are the ones who would know how to do that, or a, some? A, a, the, no, the workforce. The, the workforce knows. Yeah. How to, how to do that, and then and who is it that's adding the the delay here? The delay is being caused because they're not being given a way to. Um, Trap, track, and trace who that knowledge came from. Yeah. How do I capture? How do I capture that knowledge? How do I then feed it back into the system? I mean, think about the fact that learning models or any model has to learn whether it's automated or not, right? You're always constantly feeding new information into it. The information doesn't necessarily fit in a straight linear fashion or a, 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 a backplane of technology. It's human knowledge, and that has to be captured and re-input and, and be input into the system, uh, whether it's design thinking or human-centric design, which are complementary to each other. Somehow that, that institutional knowledge has to get fed back. Think about what Tyler said that we all giggled at, that they had just fired the developer. That knowledge should not leave the organization with the human being. It should be captured in some way, whether it's on maybe, a maybe, interview. Maybe, the, the, the interesting, interesting thing, just as the FYI, since we're we're halfway through the the, the time, but this is actually the, the top. No, no, no. This is the, this is the topic. The topic was supposed to be strategies for data migration, um, which is why I'm, I'm injecting the question because right, what we're what we're describing here is a change in the data structures of an organization and yes. law and 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 something that's being lost here mm-hmm. yeah um which is why i was clarifying yeah. was it the people or you know are we adding ais to improve that or can you know sometimes people are stuck in patterns and they they miss opportunities at the same yeah, time yeah I, I would argue that uh that uh, uh walt firing the developer was the best thing that could have happened because they had ownership over the four years of the spaghetti plate legacy integration. And when we were going to switch it over, uh, everybody kept telling me to dig into his code, dig into the code. I'm like, no, I'm not digging into the code. That's technical debt. And what I want to know is, what is the data coming into the existing data pipeline? What is the data coming out? And now I can write the transformation function to convert this to this, right? You know, 101. So what, I, what I'm saying is the developer's knowledge was actually, knowledge can be technical debt too. Agreed. But where the institutional knowledge is so valuable would be, um, okay, so when I was at Rackspace, we had something like 750, 850 salespeople. I had five go-to guys when I ran product for the VMware practice because those were the one and a half to two percent of the folks that actually were generating valuable intellectual property and how to build new solutions. And this is true for data migration or any innovation within an organization is how do you capture that really valuable institutional knowledge that exists in a, a small silo 
and then roll that out across the entire organization. So that was our, 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 our intent at the mortgage bank was we were targeting the three or four top producers in the company that were already data savvy, that were doing data stuff on their own and figure out how to standardize that and then tie the results of these high performers to the process that they're using in terms of their their monetization of the internal data, right? And then we say, okay, well, if you want to perform like um, like David's David S, then this is what they're doing in terms of the data, and we will teach you how to do the same thing, and we can measure the the conversion rate and uh, you know uh, um, ultimately the revenue, right? So that's that's I think what you're talking about, Jaren, when you're talking about capturing the 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 the, uh, the, the institutional knowledge, yeah. And, and then also the personas, right? So you go to uh, operations team and then the metric becomes quote to close or quote to cash or whatever that metric happens to be. So, so like, I guess my recommendation with all of that is if we change the KPIs too much, it confuses people. So if, if, if you can frame the innovation with respect to the, the measurements that they're already used to and maybe tweak it a little bit. But if you throw it all out, they just get confused and they want to go back to the way things were. Um, I, I completely agree. I mean, you know, in, in terms of a frontline workforce in production, somebody might value an extra cigarette break more than, you know, a tool that they can use to be more efficient. And that's really in a, in a very basic way. But as you look at as you look at the personas and you look at, you know, new people coming in or younger generations coming in and what do they use to um, uh, uh, what do they value more? I mean, I'm, I'm working with a little company, a very tiny startup that's doing something like TikTok, but for professionals. Right. It's it's only a channel for that but it's the making of the videos and not having to do all, have all the design tools and be a videographer and be a, a good editor and all of that kind of nonsense and what i said to them was so if i took something valuable like a training process for manufacturing or i was teaching somebody about supply chain metrics this okay. would be ideal because it's two minutes it's one topic and boom here you go your market is in corporate training as well as you know others, but basically based on the vertical of the industry knowledge. And one of the things they said to me was, but how do you get this industry knowledge if you've never worked in that vertical? And I said, well, that's where you call experts and you brain dump them for a period of time to be able to create the content. Use an AI, you know, use chat GTB and let them just talk if, yeah, if there's a way to do that. Um, yeah, you got to partner with people knowledge. in the business. Yeah. Right. But but this whole notion of, you know, labor scarcity and people downsizing and whatever, the amount of institutional knowledge that's walking out the door with these people is absolutely huge. And where people don't realize the lost value or the lost opportunity of keeping that is in terms of 
how were we resilient with how can we be resilient without having that? We can't be. Yeah. You know, so there's a cost effectivity, a resilience uh, notion, um, a whole lot of high level value things that can be thrown around that, that make the, that capture um, something very important. And I think that that capture is part of the reason not to change the subject at all, why you have, you know, Microsoft going after chat, uh, open AI, right? They see the value of putting that into Word and Excel and all of their other products. The competitors that may come up out of the woodwork for that are, are different, but that's one way to do it. Where I'm seeing it on the data fabric level or the data, um, you know, um, ETL processes is, well, if you just virtualize everything, and call that your data fabric and give access to that data, then Bob's your uncle because you don't have to worry about the transformation of it. You can just make it visible and let people cherry pick. Letting people cherry pick without rules around it is stupid, but that's just my view. Um, creating a defined data fabric, however, is something completely different. Virtualization can be kind of the virtualization can be managed and it can be projections. You know, you can virtualize a, you know, a uh, portion of the data or you virtualize a, a, a filtered version and deliver it as a cert, you know, deliver it as a, uh, an abstraction for any analytics stack and so forth. Um, but capturing this, knowledge that you were just describing when you think about it do you think about it as um somehow capturing process that's repeatable or are we talking about something different no it's it's defining a process in which to capture the intellectual capital that's one part of it and that and that process would be in terms of the context in which it would be used, the actual data archives, the facts, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So it's a you way said, to, you, you know, said, semantic. You said a magic word there, which was context. And yes. that's 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 quite, you know, that's the, the issue that you want to make sure is, is incorporated. But there's I, I two levels of process. Okay, go ahead. The first yeah. is, <laughs> excuse me, a process to define the process of capturing context. That's a process. That's a Say design plan. Say that again. Ten times. Five rapidly. times faster. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> smack, smack. Yeah, I know. Sorry. A process <laughs> through which you are going to determine the process of capturing context. Okay, so how do I start? What do I do? What are the steps? The second mm -hmm. process is once you've captured what's the model for that context, how are you going to relate it to other things, data archives, uh, data facts, how are you going to govern it, steward it, uh, filter it, reuse it, leverage it? How are you going to do that? Where I'm, are you going to feed assuming, it to? I, yeah, I'm assuming that almost all of this is, is, um, as part of context, you're establishing kind of a domain specific, you know, there, the, 
the whole purpose of um, capturing knowledge is capturing knowledge, capturing process that's a, that is to be applied when you have the following context. So you've right. got nice rules. You've got nice means of doing pattern matching. You've got identification. Yeah. Ah, I can see I can see what the domain is. Mm -hmm. I have some set of uh, I have some notion of the of the the context thereby. I know the persona. I know roughly the objective of the of the data, the processing that goes on. That means, all right, I can make a choice about what portion of the grand data set that's at my disposal right. gets filtered, virtualized, handed off to whoever needs it, either their, you know, the analytic stack, the visualization, or packaging up as a data set that gets thrown into a file and sent down, you know, down the hall. My, or my... applying or applying that data set to a visual paradigm in AR, in VR, in digital twin, yeah. in any kind of that that makes it easy for a person to consume. Right. There's lots of knowledge management systems out there that are designed to capture the knowledge and hold it and regulate it and govern it and whatever. But what, what's missing is the Take that, call it, for lack of a better word, and I know it's the wrong context, no pun intended, data lake, and apply it now to something more tangible where it's available for the user to use, rapidly consume, and make a decision on. That's the part that's missing. It's the end of the loop feeding back to the beginning. That's what's missing. And, and isn't it to at least some degree the the end user the the consumer's choice of whether they want to utilize it in AR some other form of visualization is that part or is that you know or there there may be limitations about you know this is how you can use it you know this is this is the process well, that we we yes, and and that's where the personas come back in because really what the persona is doing is creating the representation of what that user that segment of a user community is best is most likely to use and will consume with best effort. So, for example, if it's a bunch of Gen Zs, they're probably going to use a TikTok like develop you know methodology because that's what they're they're using to replace google whereas more the the you know and i i don't want to i'm not an age bigot but the next group may want to use something more like um i don't know like linkedin uh or a wiki format or whatever or or a short mm -hmm. video or webinar and then mm -hmm. the next might go back to the tiktok type thing it's finding the right venue for that knowledge to be consumed by the end user to make the end user more productive. Is it, is and if it we really think about that? digital transformation, pardon? Wow. It, is it, it, you really think it's that, 
like generationally sensitive as to how they want to consume the data. We actually have yeah. that much. Is, is this that, a short-term that, trend? That or? It's that persona specific. Okay. It is that persona specific. There's a lot of companies in the HCM space, like Mercer and whatever, that, that go and do these kinds of studies. But what I'm finding, the if you look at even at something like LinkedIn and look at the consumption rates and the um, the uh, analytics that they give you on a post, nine times out of 10, if there's a picture or a video attached to it or music attached to it, the, the rates rise hugely because people like that. It's easy to consume. It's nice. It's whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. What Tyler was saying about the coffee with digital trailblazers. Yes, it's a very limited function for audio on LinkedIn. He's building his audience. What I find fascinating is that LinkedIn hasn't figured out that they need to be more like Zoom and have a chat function, mm-hmm. right? For that audio, because you can't comment back and forth. You can't prompt people. It's very rudimentary. Okay. Why they went down that road, I'm not 100% sure. It's just expanding their horizon, I guess. Playhouse or but that's whatever, Microsoft. whatever it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, wait till they start adding, you know, AI into it. It's going to be very are you, interesting. Are you seeing, <laughs> yeah. uh, Joanne, this is an area I, I you know, kind of. For you. I have, I have, I have tan, tangential, you know, um, experience with, but is anybody, um, if this is knowledge to be, if this is process to be captured, you know, I'm, Developing the process to develop the process. Yes, to develop the process. How are these processes and the the various kind of meta levels of processing? How are they actually being codified or or captured for purposes of you know replay analysis? I mean, if I think about doing a machine learning model, I capture data models. And, you know, one of the one of the things that people have come to understand when they start employing machine learning is not only do I have to do version control on the code, version Mm -hmm. control on the data, I need to do version control on the model. Yes, I need to I need to capture the model and be able to to how are these processes being maybe a, a better question is who's got a a a DSL of a a uh, um, a language a process language that is being used that can be at least utilized to some degree to capture this information and make it transferable, UML. Really? UML. Some people are using UML. Some people are using NLP and the modeling for NLP. Uh, explain those. Semantic. UML, I, can, um, I can kind of, kind of get this. Kind of understand UML, although it, I, I'm not sure how you get there, but uh, explain what you mean by using NLP. 
Well, they're using a natural language processor, the algorithms behind it and the data models, and they're making them specific to contextual analysis. So you can make uh, an NLP model that's solely about the context by taking at the very core, roll it back one step or two steps further backwards, Rich. Uh, you can use Pestiel Analytics. There's a number of different regression methods or uh, or other algorithmic and mathematical models that can be used for it. It's how they're being adapted. But from a language perspective of modeling, UML in part, there's some folks that are doing it via NLP, which I find is a, a reach, and they're going to end up with too much of a, of a language model versus a process model. And then there are those that, um, like Teradata is doing something very interesting around this because they've been a, a quote, knowledge management company for years and years and years, uh, SAS. Um, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of those kinds of companies that are going down this road that are not necessarily looking at the ML side. They're looking at this notion of bigger picture, contextually related analytics. And that's where the NLP feeds in, by the way, because you can use a uh, semantic or a natural language processor to pull out specific, um, pieces of the context based on if you took NLP and put it against my dialogue, you would be able to query based on certain key phrases that I've used repeatedly over the course of the last hour. Right. Okay. <laughs> you could then take that and use the UML to define an actual process of what was the question asked? What was the answer given? What was the context around it in the in the sort of raw format? Because UML is just modeling the process. How you how you create that, you know, how you use their framework for this process may seem uh antithetical, but you can do it. And there's newer modeling languages that are are coming up. I should I probably should put a list together, and I can yeah. do that. It just it feels like I mean, you know, it may be my my bias about you know and and my exposure to UML and you know and in the context there when you know everybody got bludgeoned by, you know, things like ITIL and, and everything else that, <laughs> that, you know, kind of dropped us into some pretty deep, dark holes. Um, uh, definitely we'll have to have to think that through. I, I, well, I, 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 I get what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. If I may look at the semantic side of Ethereum of the languages. Mm -hmm. And the the creators for smart contact for for the smart contracts because a lot of it is contextual. Agreed. Why couldn't you do the same thing? No, I'm lost. Take the precepts of UML, but apply them in a newer vernacular, if you will, like Symphony or. Jasper or 
Um, what's another yeah, one? Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I think I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm, there's a, there's an aspect of UML that you're, you're describing here that I'm, I'm either just not getting or not familiar with. Um, and can you take just one step back about uh, when you talk about its, its use in this con, in this, in this environment <laughs> context. Are you saying um, I speak in tongues, Rich? <laughs> no, no. I, there's something. There's you're, you're, something you're, that you're I'm two making. steps ahead of us. Is what I yeah, would describe it yeah. as. Yeah, there's there's something about UML that you're referring to, with which I'm not familiar. Okay, um, maybe that's because. There are there are a lot of there are a lot of individual vertical industries that have taken their cut at UML, and it's not as universal a modeling language as it used <laughs> right. to be. But it has become more industry specific, specific, and in certain industries they've adapted it and extended it. But so from the modeling you, perspective, are, go ahead. Are you talking about using UML with? Um, basically a, I'll call it a dictionary or a, a kind of a, you know, if I, if I apply UML in context, the context is represented by a particular set of, uh, of concepts and, and, and all right, fine. So you're, yes. you're taking the UML as the mechanism, but it's, it's kind of, not to be used without a very good representation of the context, the context being established by, you know, this, you know, a set of terms and the semantics that can be applied there. Yeah, even even all the way back, and this is dating myself terribly, uh, to DTDs and the formatting that's that's now been applied. Because if you look through industry verticals, you will absolutely find iterations upon iterations of of UML, of, of DTDs and schemas that are specifically used across certain industries. And then sure. they're they come out in cherry vanilla and you know, I don't know. And they get uh, and they get nuts. and they get institute they get kind of institutionalized by you know standards for scheme standard schemas and and right. so forth so okay right. all right I'll, okay like I, i'm getting it i'm getting it yeah so like for example the if you look back way way back um and and there's a little you know mark on my shoulder from this if you look at epdx for example which is now iso 2500 when we wrote that spec and my co-authors and i pushed it through the all the various processes to get it to be an ISO standard. That was done uh, to create um, an engineering exchange capability in B2B that then morphed into like 17 different varieties. There's still 2,500 companies using it. There's still a predominance and precedent for it in electronics, now in automotive, then in aerospace, et cetera. But each of those originals is now a flavor. 
what was an original work. So I'm saying in the UML space with a variety of different, you know, supporting structures around it, industry verticals have adopted these things and morphed them into the same, you know, cherry, chocolate, vanilla flavor sort of array. And you can pick and choose or blend as you need to, but they're still based on a standard. So because they're yeah. still based so on a standard. As, so as long as you can you as long as you can uh point to a a resource or a you know kind of an antecedent and when you bring this to the bring this online, bring it to the fore, you want to be sure that you've stated here are the dependencies. Correct, which goes to writing an S-bomb or having, you know, the rules and regulations that you would look for in a more traditional view of data schema. This is why the persona becomes the, the sort of core entity from which you can then write the rest, because now you have, let's say, three, four or five different personas for an industry or an organization more specifically to say, based on the demographics or or other criteria, here's the seg- here's a segment of 20, you know, 2000 people in this organization that ascribe under the uh, persona one. And they would be the consumers of this kind of data in this kind of format most easily, and you'd see adoption rates skyrocket. And those persona, kind of staying with the the theme here, yeah. those, the 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 distinctive personae that we're talking about um, would be distinguished from one another on yes. the basis of. Which flavors of models, which flavors of of um, which vocabularies, which dialects they are exactly. they are comfortable with Most or can, yeah. have experience with. And then it also strikes me it's you know what not just the models kind of in in representing, but what how they want to consume. It's kind of like, do I want it? Yeah. Do I want it as an aerosol spray, or do I want it as a, as you know, in some other form? Yeah, absolutely. Gas, vapor, or solid. You know, it doesn't matter. If, if sorry, I meant to say gas, liquid, or liquid. solid. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got. You know it. what I was I trying it. to say. I knew. Yeah. I knew where you were going with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Um, how they consume it, how they use it, um, what the best mm. mechanism for conveying that information is or data, aggregated data, information rule, whatever you want to call it. However, they are going to leverage it to their advantage or be empowered by it. Does this get defined in primary for in as as you go through it, does this get defined primarily from business process and and business requirements down? Does it get built up, you know, kind of bottom up when you think about it? Okay, so let me give you something a little more tangible to deal with. So let's assume okay. that my goal for 
industry four or digital transformation is creating new revenue streams based on new value created. So that can be my goal. I go to my workforce and I say that I want to create new revenue. How do you think that we can do it? And there's a process uh, in the human centric design side that allows you to, you know, use focus groups, ask specific kinds of questions, tease out the information in that institutional knowledge that could be used as a way to drive new revenue. So that's a bottom up. So you have the top down saying, my goal is new revenue. The, how do I get there? What am I going to do? How do I change my business model? How do I change my, my strategy? How do I change my architecture? How do I execute to make this a reality? Okay, I feed that's... that bottom level information up. I feed the, the more specific goals down and I work my Okay, so your starting point in, in your the starting point in your example here is I have a metric. I want to optimize it, I want to maximize yeah. it, I want to minimize it, whatever it is, and work back from that. And that might always be always reverse engineer. Yeah. And that might be starting at the at the lowest level, or if the if the metric is one of, you know, if it's if it's margin as opposed to revenue, if it's if it's you know, cost minimization as opposed to something else, that's the start. Exactly. Those are the starting points. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, the high level would either be revenue or cost savings, right? How well, you go about getting those is a different it's, question. It's top. It's top line, bottom line, and it's it's and what you're saying. There, you know. There's a handful of you know ways in which you can say, all right, here's how I here here's how I monetize some data right. for the purposes of this process. And um, okay, I see it, uh, folks. I'm sorry, I'm gonna ha I have a hard. No, we're, we're at the, we're at the top. Me too. Yeah. All right, I'm I'm gonna have to think about this conversation because I feel like it was went right over my head in a lot of ways, but it's not my area, so. I appreciate it. It's good. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. I, I, I will I will see you next week. I'm gonna pick something as a topic for next week and we'll probably go back to I'll have to think about it. Things you're more comfortable with. Well I, I this is fascinating. It I just I just there's it's a lot there's concrete a lot enough there. for me at the moment. Yeah. Um when you first put the notion here of um strategies for data migration mm -hmm. what what did you have in mind and um you know should we be you know when you talk about there's a difference between data transformations or transforming what you do with data and migration are we literally talking about how do you you know how do you move data from here to there and this was what, yeah, what this... happens in between this is literally, uh, and and I, sh I should have or could have teed this up with what happened with the FAA uh, yesterday, right? Um, no, I th this was an outcome from the, the earlier meeting was like, yeah, how do you actually, and I'll, I'll just bring this back next week. Let, how do you actually, about, how do you actually have a system that. migrate from the legacy? We'll go back to the, what happened and, and how do you, you know, do a, reasonable migration against the system that's you know deeply embedded we were sort of there and then and then i think we had an interesting 
uh, jog on can you actually create metadata and context for this? So this I think useful. that's important. And and there, there are lots of interesting topics to be kind of attached to this whole notion of, <laughs> of migrating and you know why are you it. migrating what do you migrate what 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 uh what defines you know appropriately so yeah we'll keep it. bittering on it thanks rich have a good take one. care bye wow Data, data migration and provenance are certainly important topics for us and ones we will be coming back to. Um, next week, we will be talking about uh, data migration as in how do you move uh, live data from one legacy system into a new one, uh, something that is actually very important if you think about challenges, say, that the FAA has with legacy data pilot management systems. Uh, if you're interested in participating, and I hope you are, we want your voice here. You can find out our schedule and uh, the links to join at the2030.cloud, and uh, you will find that and information about past episodes. Looking forward to seeing you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.